holidays, everyone, and welcome to another episode of American Billiard Radio. My name is Mr. Bond. I'll be your host for this evening. It's December 19th, 2013. Only five days. Nope, six days left until Christmas. Boy, where has the year gone? Hmm. Hope you guys have all been good boys and girls. I have not so I fully expect a piece of coal in my stocking. A monogrammed, personalized piece of coal. Thank you very much. In keeping with our theme for the show, we are going to be talking about the State of the Union as it applies to pool. And in the U.S., when it comes to pool, there's one institution that can truly speak with experience on the subject, and that would be Q Sports International. So we've decided to talk to CEO Mark Griffin to uh, get his opinion on uh, the way things are rolling right about now. Mark, welcome to the show. If you could, uh, tell us, compared to, oh, say the last 20 or 30 years or so, what's the difference between pool then and pool now? Well, it's kind of interesting because through a lot of changes. I know in a previous uh, section you had mentioned that all sports have their good days and their bad days. You know, it's, it's very cyclical. Right. Thirty years ago, believe it or not, there were not very many tournaments. You go back and you see when Ronnie Allen and Steve Mizrak and those guys were playing, there was only a couple of tournaments a year of any consequence, per se. I mean, you got a lot of the little local tours. They were not big money. Right. Uh, even Stardust events were very the Johnson City, you know, and those were in the late 60s. They, they weren't very big. It was just a convention where all the gamblers got together and, and and everybody kind of put up their own stakes and away they went. I think the biggest thing that's changed pool, there's two major factors, the economy, and that's really not the right word, the value of money. I mean, as weak as I was, I actually went on the road a couple of times. Hmm. I lived in Alaska. It was a long road when you get down to, you know, it's 2,200 miles in Seattle from Anchorage. Wow. But, um, and I, we struggled. I was with some better players and everything. But we could live on $40 a day. And this is two or three of us. Gas was, back then, I think gas was like 35 cents a gallon. You drive a little car, I mean, get 15, 20 miles a gallon. I don't know, Motel 6 was 6 bucks. Motel 8 was 8 bucks. You know, Denny's was $1.99. So for 40 you, you could go out and you could grind it out. You could play $2 pool and actually make money. Yeah. Now... Put two guys in a car, and you better—you you got a two hundred dollar a day nut. The internet stops anybody from making any money, and it, uh, everybody knows who everybody is. But even that doesn't bother me. It's the mental aspect. When we used to play, you would just play, and if somebody was obviously the better player, you'd do a little adjustment, or you wouldn't, and you just find somebody else. But today is the day of what are you going to spot me? <laughs> and it just has changed the game. Everybody's a nut hunter. Nobody is willing to put their money where their mouth is. There's just, there's, you can't blame it on anybody. You can put, play pieces of the blame in a lot of places. 
Um, I know we've taken CSI and all our entities. We're taking a whole different outlook on how we're going to handle professional pool. Amateur pool and professional pool are two different things. Right. I feel they're supposed to be joined. I'm in the minority. Hmm. You look at all the other leagues, they don't even care about the pro players. Right. What makes us unique. More choices for all players. Right. That's what we are. Um, unfortunately, you get a lot of animosities between the groups. The amateurs say, don't you take any of my money and support the pros. And the pros, they could give diddly squat about the amateurs. And that's the pros' problem, and that's their fault. And that is why you're going to see a generational change of who is a pro player in the United States of America. Because about half the players that everybody calls a pro player, I no longer recognize as a pro player. Right. They just will not be playing in our events. And it's because of their attitudes. It's because of their posturing. It's because of their arrogance. Prime example is what uh, did occur at some of the Moscone stuff. Yeah. Or even a better example is here, I give a guy $15,000 to win the tournament. I mean, he won it. And then five weeks later, he badmouths me on Facebook, which I could care less about Facebook. But he uh, says, uh, I don't like Mark Griffin, blah, blah, blah. Turns out it was something my wife said. wasn't even what I said. <laughs> well, screw you. If you don't have the balls to say it to my face, go chew a big one. <laughs> and everybody knows who I'm talking about, so that's fine. Well, do you think, with do you think that... Uh, um you know, just that example, do you think that that's an attitude that's prevalent um, in multiple realms, I mean, in multiple uh, places in the pool world? Or do you think it's just the players? Do you think it's the promoters, too? Is it just them, or is it the fans, too? No, I, well, I, fans are fans. You yeah. know, fans are supposed to vote with their pocketbook and their loyalties and that kind of thing. I think a pro player has obligations and responsibilities. Um, I, I, that's how I feel. I think that you're supposed to be held to a higher standard. If you think, and I use the name Tiger Woods, just because that's I don't I don't follow many sports, but um, take Tiger Woods. If he was just be a total jerk, he gets beat up. I mean, how, how much do you think it cost him to have his little his uh, little girly fling right. lose fifty million dollars a year in sponsorship? Right. You right. Know? Um, he paid the price. He mm. can afford it. It's his business. Um, but I, I just, our American pros, they just don't want to act like that. They don't want to, they don't want to share their wealth of knowledge with, uh, with the amateurs, the ones that would be their biggest fans if they were just, um, you know, I mean, the race car drivers, you hear about all the time. They always sign autographs. Yeah. I've been to a couple of professional baseball games. Uh, my ex was a Atlanta Braves fan. And, I mean, you go down there, and they would, uh, uh, you know, during certain times, they'd sign autographs for anybody, just boom, 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 boom. They wouldn't have little hissy fits and pout. And they were accessible. They understand and appreciate the value of fans. But if you think our industry is in trouble, look at, I don't even know how baseball does it. I mean, I'm from Alaska. We didn't have major league ball or anything, but I hear the stories. Baseball, you could take a whole family of four for 30 bucks. Now it's what? $200 to watch a ball game. Right, right. That's all in the world. And that's because it all goes to salaries. Um, I mean, it appears, I'm sure it's more than that, but billion dollar ballparks cost a lot of money. Yeah. Um, it's everything has gotten so complicated. Everything is a machine and, and it costs so much money to do anything. I just got in a little beef with some Facebook posts on 
Because one of our events is the Jay Swanson Memorial. This is the 18th year. They're complaining because there's green fees and registration fees and things like that. That, in all honesty, I do feel are on the high side. And it comes out to $25, $28, actually, out of a $88 entry fee. And then we say it adds $4,000. To a degree, it's shuffling money. But the bottom line is the room, which is hard times, in Sacramento, or in uh, um, Bellflower. Bellflower does not have liquor. It does not have a kitchen. It has hot dogs and Cokes. They can't overcome the nut. Right. And it's real simple. There's no rooms left in Southern California big enough to hold the event. So we can either not have the event or we can take what the room says, I got to have, otherwise I lose money. Yeah. I, I understand both sides of the issue. I despise it when somebody says, oh, BCA takes all the money. If they're not, it's BCA pooling, and we don't take a friggin' dime. <laughs> I'm consistently, I've lost money 18 years in a row. <laughs> Damn. It's, it's supposed to be break-even. I, some, I probably got there a year or two. It just aggravates me. It aggravates me to no end that we do these things and keep listening to the same crap. And, you know, I'm, it's real simple. You, you smear me on Facebook, or basically, you smear whatever we're doing on Facebook or in a, or in a public... Uh, um, venue arena yeah. venue you will apologize in the public there's none of this you know I swear cussing you out in the public and apologizing in private I am actually just done wrestling with people mm. uh, people say well you're all arrogant you start banning people I said yep <laughs> you know you can either join me or help me or get the hell out of the way but I am not going to get sniped on I'm 67 years old I'm having some uh, nuts well, I guess you could call them serious health issues, but I'm, I'm okay. Not going to fall over dead tomorrow. But I'm just slowing down. I have to. And it's a, it, I've had emphysema for over 20 years, and I'm, recently they put me on 24-7 oxygen, and I'll be that way. Well, they say another 10 or 20 years. I'd be happy if I get another 10 or 20 years. Right. But I feel I'm functioning about 90-95%. Just my physical uh, capacities have been diminished, but... I'm just not going to play these games anymore. And mm-hmm. I'm not giving up on pool, but I am changing my direction, and CSI is changing our direction. Um, as you know, we brought on a new manager. He starts February 1st, Ozzy Reynolds from the East Coast. And he's going to do things that I can't or won't or couldn't do. Mm-hmm. He's more disciplined than I am. We're going to get more focused. We're basically going to kick ass and take names. We have to for survival because times are changing. Right, that's exactly right. The we were talking earlier, the expenses for a for a single person to come from New York, let's just grab, or Florida, to come out here and play in our annual event at, at the Rio uh, in July. What are you talking about? Five or six hundred for airfare. Let's say you split the room. It's about 90 bucks. That'd be about 50 bucks a night. Eight nights, you know, 400 Let's say 50 bucks a day food, which is like, so you're in $1,500. Mm-hmm. That's expensive. Yeah, it is. And especially for uh, as little as some of these guys would be walking away with. Well, yeah, because this is not a, amateur pool is not supposed to be a money-making proposition. Right, right. At best, you're supposed to try to not lose money. But we have six, 7,000 players. Believe me, the bulk of them lose money. That's that's the nature of anything. Go to any bowling tournament, any golf tournament, any you know, any any event. Um, and I'm not sure why 
people in the billiard industry look at it as a money-making proposition. That is just the wrong, <laughs> you know, it just, it just doesn't work that way. The money has to come from somewhere. Right. This is true. This is true. And so few really understand it, and so few will get out and do it. But I'm pretty philosophical. You know, I'll listen to anybody's complaint, but I want you to ask before you speak so you, so you know the facts, because I'll tell you the facts as I see them. But give us some constructive criticism. Yeah. Don't just say, you're not adding enough. Right. Well, then I'll tell you what. You solve the problem. Go find us a sponsor. Exactly. <laughs> or more than one. As yeah, far or as more it. than one. And it's just, it's tough out there. And I'm, I, I personally believe it's going to get a lot tougher. I, I'm, as I said, 67. I was talking to another guy about my age, and we both said, you know, we, we were born, raised, grew up at probably the best time in American history. Baby boomers. Mm-hmm. We learned the old school. We got, to, as he said, we got to ride bicycles without helmets on. We got to shoot BB guns. I mean, you can't do any of those things anymore, you know? <laughs> and I think we learned some old school values that just don't exist. And in our industry, which is billiards, there was no handicaps. Sure. What do you give me? I'm, I might ask you if, if we know you're a better player, you'd spot me. But it's none of this, I'm a seven, I'm a six, which are so bogus, <laughs> no matter what you're doing. Because they're, they're uh, you know, it's garbage in, garbage out. You don't keep good, uh, there's too many variables. Well, there's the potential to manipulate the the numbers is the problem. It's not, I, I don't, in theory, I don't disagree with uh, trying to put people on levels. But like I said, I think that there's too much room uh, for people to manipulate it. As a matter of fact, um, we'll go to a short break real quick, but when we get back, we can talk about this more as far as uh, um, the amateurs and pros working together. I feel like, you know, in a perfect world, it should be your performance on the amateur level that qualifies you as a pro to begin with. Well, something has to happen. I have an answer. I'm just, I, I don't have the tools. I tried to get the Billiard Congress of America and a few others to implement some of this about two years ago, and I just could not convince them. Right. And we wouldn't be today where we are if somebody would have listened. Go ahead and take your break, and then uh, we'll come back. Yeah, okay. Hold on, guys. We'll be right back after this. And we're back, and we're talking with Mark Griffin, CEO of CSI. Yeah, I always like to throw our taglines on this. Because CSI, it, well, it means Q Sports International. Sure. Um, maybe it should mean crime scene investigation. <laughs> <laughs> but because there's been some crimes committed. Anyhow, uh, we, we uh, own and operate the BCA Pool League, the USA Pool League, uh, Jay Swanson Memorial, which I said earlier is the 18th year coming up. The uh, U.S. Uh, Bar Table Championship, where this is the 21st year. U.S. Open one pocket, U.S. Open 10 ball, U.S. Open uh, 8 ball, and then obviously uh, our big nationals at the Rio, and it'll be at the Rio for the next eight years or so. We made a permanent move from the Riviera. Good. And we had some, uh, I think it went 
really, really well, considering the first year was a brutal move. And we had some issues, uh, but I think we'll have them all resolved next year, so that's in July. So. But anyhow, we were talking a little bit about um, kind of the state of the industry or state of the union, and I, I just really think that uh, there are some things that can be done, and a, a membership-based hierarchy or a, a stair step where you start out at the beginner and work your way up to be a pro. You can't just walk in and qualify right. as a wild card. You have to go through the moves. You have to go through the ranks. And and that's what needs to be done. Unfortunately, and I'm probably as much of the problem as I am the solution, a lot of us just won't work with each other. And everybody's, But the guy from the outside says, well, why don't you work with them? And I says, well, I've tried. Mm-hmm. I ain't going back for seconds. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's some people in this industry that should be just shot. <laughs> Real simple. <laughs> I'm sure they say that about me, too, so. <laughs> Probably so. Probably so. You know, that's, well, that brings up another good question. Uh, do, you know, and this is a tough question, really, because I don't know if there is an answer. But but in an industry like this where there is um, some hard feelings here and there and a little attitude here and there, what what do you think it's going to take to get people to pull their heads out and say, hey, you know, if we work together uh, on blank, fill in the blank, then we could all benefit from this. What do you think it's going to take? <laughs> I really don't know. Um, it's going to have. It's going to take somebody with a little bit of a bankroll. Well, sure, money is uh, given, <laughs> and some connections. And in all honesty, we were in. A, we were. CSI was contemplating doing some things, and the uh, ABP formed, and we said, well, let's let them have their shot. They have failed absolutely miserably. The ABP is a, it's just, it's just, I think they had some good intentions, terribly implemented. Hmm. Um, that probably needs to go away, and a, and a decent organization come in, in play. But that's only, quote, for the professional player. Right. Which is probably, what? One percent of the population of the pool playing population, if even that much. The pros think they're the they're the top of the food chain, but in all honesty, uh, they're they're the easiest part to discard, <laughs> and they have the, the the fewest moving parts. Right, they're the smallest percentage, believe it or not, of yeah. the, of the market. So, I mean, if if you're in the business to try to make some money, those are certainly not the people that you're going to turn to. That's exactly correct. They bring almost nothing to the plate except headache. Right. And I think most people are beginning to realize that. I know I gave up on them. Basically, uh, we made an unofficial announcement, and we're working on what we're going to do. So, But uh, we will not have open events at our July event for the next couple of years. Um, There'll be invite only. We are going to have the uh, U.S. Open 1 pocket is going to be in conjunction with, in Reno, in conjunction with U.S. Open... uh, uh, excuse me, with the U.S. Open, with the U.S. Bar Table Championship, it's going to be a quite a quite a deal. We'll have forty bar tables and eight nine footers. So we'll have the U.S. Bar Table, which is ten ball, nine ball, eight ball, and Monday through uh, this is all towards the very end of February. The posters and everything will be up on our site tomorrow or Monday. I'm sorry, um, uh, the end of February, February 24th through March 2nd, I think, at in Reno at the Grand Sierra, which is really a nice place. Just went through a huge remodel. It's where the IPT held one of their events. It's a. It's really is. It's a genuine four-star place. Um, 
but we're going to have the U.S. Open one pocket limited to 48 players. That's all we can do. And because it, it'll be a Monday through Thursday affair, and then the World PPA, which is uh, basically Sacramento, San Francisco, Bay Area, uh, the handicap uh, singles thing, they'll be having their annual uh, finals or however they call it, and it's uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Mm-hmm. So it'll have three things kind of going back to back to back. You will be able to play in two of them. Uh, I will not will not not let anybody play in all three. But uh, so the one pocket players can play in the ten ball and the, and the nine ball uh, on the bar table. But it's that's the only open event we're going to have with mm-hmm. restrictions. Yeah. Um, yeah, there will still be some some restrictions. If somebody needs to know if they can play in it, I guess they should contact me. So they have eliminate any great surprises like showing up and not being allowed to play. <laughs> I believe that the people that, shall we say, aren't welcome probably know who they are. <laughs> I have, uh, I'm not going to, no, we don't have a blacklist. <laughs> uh, I guess it's real simple. If you've, if you've misrepresented the professional level of, of pool playing in any recent events, probably best if you didn't show up. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. No, that's and that's a, a fine. Well, I'm just I'm just done. That's a fine policy as yeah. far as I'm concerned. You know, somebody's got to um draw a line, you know. Somebody's got to draw the line and say, "Hey, look, this is acceptable and this is not." And and of all the people out there who uh have the right to do something like that, it would be somebody like yourself or CSI who actually does and has held these events. And has had to deal with this crap for so long. So uh, I don't blame you one bit. Well, nobody does. I'm sure I'll get a lot of blame. But, but I've, the people I've talked to says it's about time. And if there was a legitimate organization, and I don't mean a player's organization. I don't mean like a professional player's. Just a legitimate organization. Like, I mean, maybe I should form one. Just uh, We charge everybody membership. And you have to be a member. And we, if you, we don't like the way you behave, you just can't be a member. Right. And yeah, it becomes a good old boys club. But it, but we will we you have to control the level of of um, actions. There has to be a code of ethics. Right. And until somebody wrestles with this, we're 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 it's it's doomed. Well, not only that, but nobody should be surprised when something goes sideways because you know, like if there's, I mean, there may or may not be a code uh, of ethics in some of these events. But even if there was, who enforces it? You know. Uh, or it's not even the matter of who enforces it. There doesn't seem to be much uh, repercussions, and if somebody does act up, so hopefully you'll be steady, setting a new standard by uh, holding people accountable for their actions. Well, the one advantage that I have, and it's, um, and I know we've had this discussion a lot with uh, with because I'm involved with TAR also, and we have a policy that anybody caught chopping, dumping, saving, doing any kind of deal right. on a TAR match is barred for life mm-hmm. from any TAR or CSI event. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but you start adding up what the hell that is. That's over half the events in this country, probably. Right. Bigger right. events. And a guy could say, oops, that's a barred for life if you do business. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that maintains or help maintains TAR's image, because we do have a great image at TAR. But even now, you get people saying, well, how would you know if they did business? Well, people talk. Mm-hmm. You know, or if it happens at night, it'll come out during the day. You know, there's all kinds of little old sayings. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just time for somebody to do something, and it get you get to the point where you don't care anymore, and that's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Because you can't threaten me. I don't care if you play. If enough of you say we don't play, then the event goes away. But, you know, and that's just the way it is. Right, right. And it's, it's uh, because the industry is, the only thing that's constant is change. And this industry is changing a lot, and I, not like I'm a great big fortune teller, but I said it six months a year ago that this is going to be the year of change. Mm-hmm. And it all is, the, the real straw that broke the camel's back was bonus ball. Yeah. The arrogance of the players, the arrogance of the promoters, the arrogance of everybody affiliated with that circus, <laughs> it's coming around to bite you in the ass, and deservedly so. Yeah, that's, uh, what can you say? I mean, <laughs> you couldn't have engineered a bigger train wreck. No. You that know. moment just said, all right, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. See, you couldn't have done it any worse. No, I think you're right. I think if there was a book about doing things the wrong way, I, they were following it word for word. Oh, word for word. <laughs> and what has happened is they've tainted some of the younger players. I mean, some, now some of the players are saying, oh, yeah, they should pay us to show up at tournaments. Okay, hold your breath. Yeah, keep holding your breath there. And it's unfortunate, but, you know, we don't control the industry. Until the industry has value to a sponsor, nothing's going to change. Right, absolutely, and it's not going to have value uh, when people are running amok and doing business and and all kinds of seedy things that sponsors don't want to have anything to do with. You know, and people say things like, "Well, Mark Griffin just doesn't like Joe Blow." No, that's really not the case. I, I actually, I, I, there's a lot of people I go have a drink with. I just won't do business with. Sure, sure. Because it's different levels, and I work too hard have way too much time, money, and energy invested in this to let some arrogant little P-R-I-C-K ruin it. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just common decency. Yeah. I'm not asking for anything unusual or anything weird. You know, treat me and the fans like you would like to be treated. It's so simple. Yeah. You know? This is very true. And not only that, um, it's we were having this discussion at the dinner table back during the Windy City Q show, oh, okay. uh, somebody was talking about a player. It was like you mentioned, a player demanding money to show up at this event or that event. And I, and I can understand if this was the NFL or something, you know, that you know could even be humored for somebody to say like that. But for them to expect that um, is kind of over the top, number one. But then it went. They went on to say that so-and-so player didn't bother showing up until a couple of hours late or something along those lines. And, you know, the incident as a whole really wasn't a, that big of, a, of an issue, but it brought forth the point. What other career or what other job could you be working at where you would have the, play, uh, the, the privilege or opportunity to pull stuff like that and not have anybody be upset with you? You know, you can't go to a regular job and say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm two or three hours late. Or, hey, guess what? You're going to have to give me my check in advance before I perform any work for you. You know, th- these are not things that are n- typically done in the business world. So the some of the stunts that are being pulled or that have been pulled um, even by the promoters and even by these... Uh, uh, there's, there's some... There's it's ridiculous. No um, 
category of people involved in pool are exempt. There have been bad promoters, bad players, bad venues, you know, uh, and there's been some good ones. I like to think, hey, we've made some errors, but uh, they were all done with the right intentions. We've always paid out every penny on the spot, even if we booked a loser, even if we advertised wrong, we upheld. And I don't think anybody can really say we've done anything wrong, but that's just the way I take care of business. You know, if I was dependent upon the pool business to make this work, it wouldn't happen. I have other sources of income. Right. Past lives, and uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't know, but it's 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 a it's a love of the game, but it's it's just that these the current crop of of quote professional player in this country is tainted. We've lost a full generation. We need to grab the current the upcoming generation. There's some great players that are coming up, and that's who we need to latch onto and turn them into the stars. Mm-hmm. You know, the stars are who the promoters make the stars. In other words, if Joe Blow might be the greatest player in the country, but if he's not invited to any of these events, he's not going to be the greatest player anymore. Right. And that's and it's unfortunate, but that's where we're going to be. Right. And 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 uh, they'll blame me, and that's fine. I got thick skin. <laughs> the only thing I ask is say it to my damn face. Yeah. You know this sniping behind like AZ billiards, and I'm active, reasonably active. I've way backed off, but of using hidden names now. Nah, you want to have a debate with me? You, you, uh, I put my cell phone on about half my post. Just call me. <laughs> you know, if you can't do that, then I guess we don't have anything to talk about. Because I'm pretty straightforward. Nobody, you know, you're, you're going to kind of know where I stand. You know, but uh, I just want what's good for pool. I do see a path for making pool better. I was listening to your previous podcast and where Jerry Forsyth was saying there's a new group coming together and this is and that's. I, and I don't mean to sabotage them. I don't hold a lot of faith. Um, as I was saying before we took the break, there, there, I had not saying that I know everything, but I really did have a plan that could have been implemented at that particular point. It's when the BCA points still meant something, when there were still a few events around that had BCA points. Yeah. When Matchroom deviated from using the BCA points, I think that was a. I don't think people understood the impact that could have. Yeah, and when Alan Hopkins went from twenty five thousand to seven thousand added, you can thank the ABP on that one. <laughs> um, you know, and when the ABP starts going out and starting their own points to confuse people and their own Hall of Fame, those things cannot be tolerated. You have a governing body, or you don't have a governing body. It's quite obvious to me that the BCA Billiard Congress of America has let that slip out of their grasp twenty years ago. It would seem that way. It is. You you look, you know, I mean, <laughs> what if you got, you got the DCA was founded in 1948 as the governing body of pool. APA, 20, 25 years ago, says we're the governing body of amateur pool. They just took it. That's what we'll be. And yeah, slop counts, all these goofy rules, but that's their rules. Uh, but I don't believe that they're the governing body of amateur pool. They have more players. I don't know if that's the validity of saying that's your governing body of amateur pool. Then you had the UPA, the governing body of professional pool. Well, that's kind of interesting. Who does that leave? <laughs> you know, I mean, right. And, and that was my biggest beef when Rob Johnson came on board. I was on the board of directors. And when we had our meeting, I said, you guys have got to decide who, who you are. Right. And if you're the governing body of pool, then be the governing body of pool. Right. 
however you have to do, whatever you have to do to make that happen, basically. And unfortunately, I'm, um, well, I come across as abrasive at times, and I know that. I've, I'm, and the older I get, the more abrasive I get. <laughs> I have a great sense of humor. You can call me anything you want, and I'm, I can understand where you're coming from. You have to have some logic behind you. But uh, I, I evidently got sideways with a few of the board members from the PCA, and at this point, I, I, I mean, I can't seem to, they just don't seem to listen to me. <laughs> I have the uh, privilege of being the only person that's ever been thrown off the PCA board. <laughs> thrown out. <laughs> and, and as it turns out, since I took them to court to prove that they were wrong, that I was right and they were wrong. They didn't invite me back. <laughs> oh, I did not know that you had been tossed out, Mark. That's a new one for me. Yeah, I mean, literally, and here I am. I was doing more events, and I've I've bent over backwards to try to open up the, the discussions and say, here's here's a you can try this, you can try, and 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 they wouldn't even let me run for the board, which is a new that's a new low, <laughs> and <laughs> I just have to chuckle. No, me too. That's kind of funny. It is kind of funny, especially when the... And I'm not knocking the board. I, I'm knocking the the way that they elect, they decide who can run for office is because yeah. I told them, I told the nominating committee, if you have any questions, you pick up the phone and ask me because of this, this, and this. Never picked up the phone. Mm-hmm. Never asked me a thing. Says, well, you sued us. I said, I did, yeah. <laughs> Well, you have to prove yourself worthy of being on the board. I said, excuse me? And I said, do you want to know why I was sued you? Oh, I've heard a lot of different reasons. Well, would you like to know the truth? <laughs> the right one, yeah. Never, never got a response. That attitude will absolutely sink the Billiard Congress of America. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, very mixed feelings towards their future. Right. I hope Jerry is right. I hope that, uh, and I'm, I plan on looking into this, And as a matter of fact, and I have already spoken to Rob and Shane both about uh, trying to get some comments from them uh, about their stance on the issues. But what I hope is that Jerry is correct and that uh, there is going to be some reorganization going on uh, because, uh, you know, we can't, we can't really go anywhere but up at this point. Let's just hope that they do it the right way. Well, I was involved. With, I'm not. I didn't get to listen to the whole thing. But there were some meetings at Tunica. I don't know if Jerry went into that or not. No, he did not. No, he just mentioned briefly that uh, that they were working on uh, some of the higher ups were working on a reorganizing plan. Well, there were seven of us, I believe. Okay. That were there at Tunica, uh, and I was one of them. I flew in for one day, as did two other people, and it, it just didn't go anywhere. Now, can it go somewhere? Possibly. But there has to be, the problem being is the Billiard Congress of America, because of their structure, they basically have become a trade organization. Right. And uh, and I had that debate with them, a lot of them, when I was on the board. And uh, by their nature, when they elect somebody from the industry, you know, some of these guys, they don't know a pool ball from a basketball. Right. How in the world can you expect them to run the industry uh, from a player's viewpoint when they don't understand the game. That's like me going out and building nuclear submarines. I know. You know, that's a pretty scary proposition. And 
they need to reach outside of their board and get some expertise. Right. Because you have you have a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge that hang around the board, either recurring uh, um, board members or this and that. But there's so much... Some of these people just cannot take off their conflict hat. Yeah. I mean, everybody on that board's conflict, that's fine. It's a small industry. When I was on the board, I had a lot of hats, <laughs> but I could take them off because you have to be wanting to work for what is good for the sport, not necessarily good for you. But I'm also a firm believer, if it is good for the industry, and you're in that industry, by default, that's good for you. Right, exactly. You know, a rising sea raises all ships, you know? So, unfortunately, that's not a... It, it's just, there's too many competitive juices in small industries. Right. It's unfortunate. The only way this is going to really... could really change is if you do take somebody that just says, this is what we're going to do, and screw the rest of you. Mm-hmm. Um... And it could happen. Barry Hearn is not the man for that job. I mean, he does a great job overseas, but the dynamics are so different. People don't understand. It's funded for all practical purposes by the federal government. All that stuff that's been on snooker for 25, 30 years, as I understand it, and it's not, I'm not an expert on it, they have a tele-tax over there. Right. I think it's about 100 pounds a year per television. <laughs> that goes to what is similar to our PBS over here. Gotcha. And then PBS says, we're going to put up $8 million for a prize fund for snooker, and you're going to put it on our TV. Well, I'll tell you what, I'd have a hell of a tour if you give me that deal over here for 25 years. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it changes things. And these people, that doesn't come out of Barry Hearns' pocket. No. He does a tremendous job. Those guys do, they do it, they do it right. I've had the privilege of talking very briefly with Barry, but I've gotten to know Luke a little bit over the years. They're stand-up guys. They do what they say they're going to do. The guy does something like a thousand hours of live TV a year. But he's got like eleven industries: yeah. arts, boxing, fishing, bowling, pool, snooker, cheese. You know. Yeah. Um. But when people are just naive when they compare that to us, and, and Americans are so different. Europeans are more disciplined. They're more goal-driven. The team concept. All these things, this is more pertaining to this Moscone Cup. Right. So, America's the renegades. Mm-hmm. Even in the worldwide structure of pools, through like the WPA guidelines, America is the one that's walking left-footed. <laughs> We're the guys that don't have a federation that sponsors the players to go to the, to the world. Right, right. We're the ones that are doing it wrong. You may be right. You may be right, Mark, because oh. something's not working. Well, it could be fixed. And I actually had a, like say, I've had a, a couple of different propositions that I pushed towards the uh, BCA, and they just weren't understood or weren't well received. I'm going to take another swing or two at them. Mm-hmm. I don't expect different results, and that'll be too bad because, in, in all honesty, if they don't do it, I'll probably do it, and then we'll have two people doing it, and then what do you got? Yeah, then you have high up again. It's just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <You're> <laughs> more of a mess than we started out with. Yeah, well, you know. If, what, what is the answer? Well, the answer is just like anything else. Take a drug addict or a derelict or whatever. You know, you can't go up until you hit, sometimes you hit rock bottom. Yeah, that's true. But you got to blow that engine before you put a new one in. This <laughs> is know? very true. So, very true. Well, thanks, Mark. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, and well, and I apologize if I, uh, I... I'm just very passionate. I just... I, I don't rehearse anything. It comes right off the top of my head. Um... And I'll defend anything I say, and I'm, I'm usually, 
I, I do say things wrong if I'm misinformed. I, there's no pride in being wrong. I just, I try, I want to be right. I want to see this industry do something in the next 10 or 15 years, and it can. Yeah. But it can't till somebody, some of these people screw their head on right. Right, this is true. And that's what we're hoping for. Yeah, call right. me anytime, and, uh, and uh, we'll chit-chat, and uh, hope, hope everything works well with your new venture. And, and I'm glad to see that you are, uh, we, we're dancing a little bit with the TAR podcast time, so that's good that we're trying to work together in an informal method. Yes, as best as we can. We would love to accommodate you you guys, and, and, and I think that, uh, like most people, I think we need uh, stuff like this going on, more coverage, better news, you know, further reaching and uh, more personalized. So that's where we're headed. Anyhow, anytime, uh, David, just give me a holler, and if anybody needs to get in touch with me, they can just, um, the office number is 702-719-7665, and I'm easy to find. Great. All right, Mark, you you guys all have a Merry Christmas, and we'll talk to you again real soon. All right, thanks. All right. Yep. Good evening, uh, cool fans. This is uh, BCA Master Instructor Randy Gatwick here. I've got a nice little one-minute subject to talk about tonight, and, and uh, I was listening to Scott Lee last week, and, and he brought up a couple of nice things. And I think I'd like to talk about maybe the number one killer of the stroke. And, it, and it's true in golf. It's probably true in most sports. And, and it's so poorly named. Let's talk about how we hold the cue. Normally, most books will call it the grip. And right away, I think something's wrong with this term, the grip. Um, we've talked about it for years. And, and, and in our schools, we call the grip a cradle. Now, what's the difference? Well, a grip insinuates strength. A cradle? Well, what does it mean when we cradle a cue or cradle um, a person that we love or something? All right, so what should happen here? Well, let's talk about the actual things that have to happen in a good cradle. All right. Number one, I think as long as the cradle is comfortable and it's relaxed and that it remains the same throughout the stroke, you've got a good cradle. All right. I believe that a good cradle has to have a hinging motion that provides a, a pivot for the cue. I mean, your hand has to go back and forth. And in a, a good pendulum stroke, it goes up and down. So the cue has to cradle in your hand. The tighter you hold your golf club, the tighter you hold your cue, the less action you're going to get. So what else? Well, I think a relaxed cradle is the key to speed, not adding other groups of muscles. You know, a tight grip actually locks the wrist and inhibits the proper cue hinging motion, and it actually slows the swing down. If you need more speed and accuracy for any reason, then loosen up and have a nice flexible cradle that allows this cue stick to once again pivot on your backstroke and then pivot along in your cradle hand right through the cue ball. 
I'm going to give you a 1948 quote. Now, how many years ago was that? This is given to us by a D.C. Hall of Famer and a 16-time world champion. And let's see if this quote is still true. Here we are what, going into 2014. Quote, a death grip on the button of the cue tends to deaden the action of the cue ball. Yeah, none other than the great Willie Moscone. Well, I'll be back with you next week. Don't worry. I'll have another good little tidbit, and I'm thinking about not to, if you can comp- uh, consider the grip or, or the cradle, get your mind change in there. Even for me, it's tough because every book says grip in there. Uh, maybe we should talk about the placement of that cradle on your stick. Anyway, check it out. See you next week. I'll be there. How about you? Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to AZ Billiards portion of American Billiard Radio. I'm Mike Howerton, giving my partner in crime, Jerry Forsyth, a well-needed break this week. Uh, I do have a guest this week. My guest this week is the Action Pool Tours owner, operator, tour director, amongst other things, Ozzy Reynolds. How you doing, Ozzy? I'm doing good, Mike. Well, uh, you guys just had a real exciting event, and I, I thought it was... An intriguing format. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Uh, sure. I'm guessing you're referring to the East Coast Nine Ball Championship, which we held December 7th and 8th at Diamond Billiards in Midlothian, Virginia. Uh, I guess the uh, intriguing format that you're referring to is the fact that it was a 64-player field, but all 64 players had to win a small qualifier at their local pool room. Now, our initial envision was to hold qualifiers all over the East Coast, uh, really from New York all the way down to Florida was was my initial thought. And that's the path that we set out on. Uh, however, our qualifiers north of Maryland and south of North Carolina didn't pan out too well, so we, we sort of found ourselves constrained uh, really, to the Mid-Atlantic area. Your winner, Oscar Dominguez, was he just on the East Coast for something else and, and played in a qualifier, or how did that work out? Yeah, yeah, I've had that question a lot. Oscar was in town for the U.S. Open in Chesapeake, Virginia, and the Saturday that the U.S. Open was ending, which was the last day of the U.S. Open, we were holding a qualifier at Pockets Billiards in Newport News, which is only about 30 miles away. Uh, Oscar got eliminated late that Friday night by Lee Van Corteza. Uh, and he had told me previously that if he lost that match, he was going to come to the qualifier Saturday morning. Uh, and he, in fact, did so and won. Now, even with the the qualifiers being limited to that area that you talked about, my understanding is you still feel the event was a success? I do. I mean, we fell short of where we wanted to be. Uh, my initial model was based on an assumption that we would average at least 14 players per qualifier. 
And I didn't think that would be very difficult to do, especially if they were spread out from, you know, New York to Florida. Uh, but being con- being constrained into that small mid-Atlantic area with 64 separate qualifiers, what we found was uh, there just wasn't that big of a pond to fish from. So rather than averaging 14 players per qualifier, it ended up being more like six and a half. Uh, they started out really well. Our first few were in the upper teens, uh, you know, 17, 18, 19 players per qualifier. Uh, but as summer kind of hit, uh, participation went down, and it never really recovered, quite honestly. Uh, but even with only six and a half players per qualifier, we still raised $14,000 for the payouts. And these were small entry fee qualifiers. Uh, only $40 was used to, uh, or actually $35 per player was used for the championship prize fund. And we still generated 14 k The qualifiers themselves, the the entry fee money and any added money, if there was, was there a payout at the qualifier level or was it all paid forward to the championship? You know, that's, that's another good question. The initial rollout of this idea was a $40 entry fee for non-professionals and an $80 entry fee for professionals. $5 per player went to the host, uh, which was the pool room that was hosting the qualifier, and the remainder went to the championship prize fund, and there were no payouts at the qualifier level. However, after about... I'd say six or eight weeks into the qualifiers, a lot of the players contacted me and and suggested that we raise the entry fee a bit so that we had some payouts at the qualifier level. And and really the the suggestion stemmed from the guys that were finishing, you know, second or third in a qualifier and walking away with nothing. Uh, They felt that they should at least get their money back. So we ended up making a change, and we raised the, the qualifier entry fee by $20. And that $20 went directly for payouts. And did that did that help the numbers after that change was made? You know, it, it really had no effect. It had no effect on participation. My, my, my gut tells me, though, that we probably priced out some players that we may have gotten if you know, if we had kept it at forty dollars, we may have picked up some players after summer ended. Uh, but by going to sixty dollars for a non-professional, I think we may have priced some people out of the qualifiers. But that's that's purely a gut feeling. If you look at just the raw numbers, it really had no effect. The format sounds a lot like the national championship that CSI put on two or three years ago, and. The reason I ask the questions that I do is because I know there was some pushback back then where players were showing up for events that were advertised as $500 added or $1,000 added and finding out that the added money was going to pay the entries into the national championship and there were people who turned around and walked out the door. But it it doesn't sound like you had that same sort of pushback with this one. Uh, well, it was. I think it was different. I mean, we don't. We didn't advertise any added money at all. Uh, we were upfront with all the players right from the beginning that these qualifiers are to a 
get one person per qualifier into the championship event, and all the money was going to the prize fund. Uh, we didn't promise any added money from any other entities, uh, and, and we posted estimated payouts based on our assumption of what the turnouts would be. And as we got further down the line, um, we revised those estimates actually several times. So there was there was what I feel was a lot of transparency in the payouts. I mean, at first we thought first place would be ten thousand dollars, and that was based on a turnout of fourteen players per qualifier. Well, it ended up being four thousand uh, dollars because we only averaged about six six and a half players per qualifier. Uh, but that wasn't a surprise to people at the end because we were updating the prize fund almost on a weekly basis. I know here in Arizona with tournament players, you see a lot of, you know, guys at the board and they're they're calculating this and that and the added money and, and the entry fees and, and, you know, well, wait a minute, this doesn't come out right. Is Do you see that on the East Coast? Was that why you were so transparent with the numbers? Well, you do see that a lot on the East Coast. Um, in fact, it's very, very bad here. Uh, there will be some, you know, a lot of the players might will come to the tournament just because they want to play uh, without really giving a second thought to the entry fee or the payouts or anything. They just want to play pool. But there are some people, uh, and, and ironically enough, these are amateur players that simply play pool, and I'm using air quotes for fun, that will literally show up at a tournament. They'll count the number of players. Uh, they'll look at the entry fee per player. They'll add it up. They'll do the math. Uh, if it's a, say, say it's advertised as a $500 added tournament, they'll, they'll do the math, and they'll compare that to what you post the payouts to be. And if there's any difference whatsoever, they get upset, and they start spreading some hate and, and discontent around the entire room. I've noticed that. I noticed that when I was doing nothing but playing. This is before the Action Pool Tour began. And I noticed how detrimental it was to a tournament. And that's why you see uh, the format that I've chosen to follow with the Action Pool Tour. One, we have staggered entry fees. The entry fees are not the same for every player. It's dependent on skill level. And two, we have added money at all of our events, but I don't ever advertise it. I let the payouts speak for themselves, uh, and the added money, quite honestly, can be different depending on the tournament, the room, the time of year, the type of event it is. So for me to post that, one, would would lead to that very thing that you're talking about, but two, it would just be confusing because it would change from tournament to tournament. That's an interesting way to go about doing things, and and it does. It sounds just like it is, at least here in Arizona. I would say the West Coast, but you know i'm i'm much more uh speaking about arizona but enough of the action pool tour i i i was very excited to hear about your new position as csi manager can you tell our listeners a little bit about that new position uh sure um this actually has has been in the works for a little while now um but essentially what happened was mark griffin ceo of uh q sports international reached out to me one day, and I knew Mark. Uh, Mark and CSI have done some sponsorship activities with the Action Pool Tour for the last couple years. Uh, but he reached out to me one day, and he said, hey, 
I'd like to take a look at your resume. And interestingly enough, this was when I first announced uh, the, the beginning of the East Coast Nine Ball Championship. I think the format sort of intrigued him a little, and, and uh, he gave me a call that very night that the story posted on your site. And, uh, you know, we just chatted for a bit, and uh, then he asked me to shoot my resume over. Uh, so I was kind of curious as to what that was all about, but I did so. And uh, he took a look at it and called me a little while later, and he said, hey, we'd like you to come out here and chat with us a bit. And uh, I went out there, and it, it was pretty clear. They made it pretty clear right off the bat uh, that they were looking for a succession plan. So the, the conversations continued for a while, and uh, we ended up reaching an agreement for me to come on board as the manager and eventually transition into the CEO spot and take it over for Mark altogether. Well, I, I know Mark had made a comment recently that he still anticipated, or, or, or let me back up a minute, he he envisioned himself cutting back to maybe 30% of the responsibility that he has now. Uh, but from the way you describe it, you know, this is kind of a long-term plan where he could eventually get completely out of the picture. Well, sure. I mean, Mark is getting older. He's he's a high-energy guy, uh, but he is getting older. Um, and I think, you know, he's trying to get his ducks in a row for that day, whenever that day may be, uh, that he decides he wants to step away and, uh, you know, figuratively speaking, sip a martini on the beach for the rest of his days. I think it's quite responsible of him to start planning early uh, rather than waiting until it's too late, so to speak. Right. And, you know, with the, there's been a lot of conversation recently about 2014 and, you know, the number of points events and the number of major events looks to be drastically lower in 2014 than, than we've had in the past. Um, can you fill us in a little bit about what CSI's plans are for 2014? Well, I can tell you that I have not yet started in that role. Um, the plan is for me to start in February of next year. So for me to speak in detail about that would probably be a little premature. Uh, what I can say is I think next year will be very, very different than 2013 uh, from a lot of respects. I think a lot of changes are coming not just from CSI's perspective, but for the industry as a whole. Uh, and I think it may end up, as we look back on it in time, Mike, it may be a, a transformational year, quite honestly. Uh, something has to change within the industry, and I think it's got to be something big. Uh, there is, It is absolutely senseless, senseless that somebody that's the best in the world at pool cannot make a good living. Uh, if something has to change, the model is completely broken, and and I hope uh, that in my role at CSI, I can have something to do with that change. And do you have your own vision of how that would happen? Well, you know, I have some ideas. Um, I, I've never been scared to try some things, as you could see with the Action Pool Tour, uh, but you know, you got to kind of blend that with how the industry is currently structured now. You can't just come in and blow it up and start over. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve for me, quite honestly. Um, I, 
I have a lot of knowledge on a regional level about pool, uh, but this will be my first delve into the national scene and international scene, quite honestly. Uh, so there'll be some learning curve um, for me to, to uh, I guess, spout off my ideas about how the industry should be structured right now is probably a little bit premature. Well, um, we're certainly interested, and I think our listeners are interested down the road when you uh, when you have more of a grip on the reins of things as to what direction you would like to see things move in. I mean, it certainly Mark is a Mark is a strong individual, and and I'm sure that he's going to have say for many years as to how CSI is going to operate. I don't anticipate you know him just handing the reins over to you and and him heading off to the beach right away, but um, I think all of our readers wish you all of the luck, and, and I personally feel that you're you're pretty close to hitting the nail on the head that there need to be some major changes coming in the in the very near future. Well, I, I appreciate it, Mike. I'm very excited about this opportunity. Oh, quite honestly, I never imagined uh, that I would be able to work within the pool industry and make a good living. I, I always thought, Pool would, pool would always be something that I did, uh, but I thought for me it would be sort of a side gig, you know, running a tour, putting on a big tournament here or there. And this opportunity that has presented itself uh, is literally a dream come true for me, and I simply can't wait to get out there and get started. Well, again, we wish you all the luck in the world, and we will look forward to talking to you down the road when uh, you can fill us in a little bit more on some of your plans. I'd be happy to. Have me back, and uh, I'll be happy to come on. Thanks, Ozzy. All right, thank you. Hey, everyone. This is Marianne with another edition of the Go Play Pool app, featured Room of the Week. Each week, we talk to the owners of the best pool rooms in the U.S. Today, I'm talking to Randy Hansen at Big Dog Billiards in Des Moines, Iowa. Thanks for joining me, Randy. How are you? Real good. Real good. Thank you. All right, so tell us a little bit about Big Dog Billiards. Well, we have 40 tables, 10 of which are 9-foot diamond tables and diamond pros. And we have 13 7-foot diamonds. All those have 860 Simonis. And then the rest we have are 7-foot tables. We've got uh, a lot of the leagues play on the valleys and some prefer the diamond tables. Most of our tournaments are on the diamond seven-foot table. What type of leagues do you have? Well, well Des Moines is full of leagues. We've got uh, a, a couple different valley leagues, and there's a new one that started up, the UPL, which uh, right now is just just at Big Dog Billiards. It's affiliated with the M8 League out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And this, this league just, uh, well, it pays out so much more than most, and the handicap system in it is... Regarded as probably the fairest that there is, there's uh, it's real difficult for the for people to sandbag and to and to advance. So uh, people oh, are, are they really enjoy it and they like the competition. Oh, um, then there's, uh, a- yeah, and then there's APA and there's a Metro League and an East Side League and a City League. It's full of leagues in the town. It's crazy. Wow, that that sounds great. Do you have any tournaments in your room? Well, we do. We've got we've got weekly tournaments. Uh, well, we've got a Tuesday night handicapped eight ball tournament, and we do a uh, 
Thursday night, late night, short rack eight ball tournament, which is unique. It goes real fast, starts at 11 o'clock at night after the league's over. And, wow. uh, yeah, they play a short rack eight ball, which is just using four strikes and four solids. They uh, rack the eight in the middle, and it's racked up in the shape of a nine ball rack. And it goes real fast. Huh, I've never heard that before. That's interesting. Yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. People like it. And then we have a ten ball tournament on Friday night and a a nine ball tournament on Sunday night. And yeah, then we so have, sounds like you guys are covered. Well, we're trying to stay busy. And, yeah. Uh, we also have um, usually one or two tournaments a month on the weekends. Wow. Um, we just finished a pretty good nine ball and eight ball tournament this past weekend where uh, Friday night we played nine ball. There were 60 players, and that finished up on Saturday. We got 68 for the eight ball on Saturday. And we added nice. $500, $500 Friday night and $1,000 Saturday. And it was put on by John Stitch out of Minneapolis. It was MPA, MPA yeah, we, tournament. We know John. Good guy. Okay. Yeah, yeah great guy. Great Runs yeah. a great tournament. It was a lot of fun. People liked it. Well, it sounds like you really take care of your players, for sure. We try. That's good. That's good to hear. What other amenities or services do you offer, pool or non-pool related? Well, Big Dogs is, we have a complete restaurant in there. It's called Big D's, mm-hmm. run by Daryl Judson. And it's a full-service restaurant, and they do uh, catering. Well, they make the best, just the best pizza I've ever eaten. Yes, <laughs> your oh, favorite. Yeah. Great. Yeah, it is. Oh, and uh, and also we've got got foosball and darts and um, different arcade games. So we keep people all ages pretty busy. Well, that's good. And and you said all ages. Um, so it's a family friendly establishment. Well, very much so. We have families in there, and kids kids are welcome till at least nine o'clock. All right. Good to know. So if you have kids, get them down there so they can learn to play pool. Right. Sure. All right. If you could describe Big Dog Billiards in just one sentence, what would you say? How would I describe Big Dog Billiards? Probably first is it's an it's an entertainment center. You know, it's not just a pool hall, but it's but it's also you know a place to meet people and socialize. Like I said before, we have. Uh, restaurant. We also have a full bar. It's very large. There's uh, three 10-foot big screen TVs and uh, some 46 and 50-inch TVs. They can watch games and have a lot of different things to offer that way. That's great. Yeah, I don't. Th- I think uh, you guys have too much. One sentence doesn't work, huh? <laughs> True. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like you guys got a lot of a lot of great stuff in your room. I I hope to definitely make it out to Des Moines sometime. Well, some of the some other things that we uh, offer, we have, uh, we have quite a line of pool cues and okay. uh, equipment. We do pretty much all repairs on cues. Well, that's great. Yeah, it sounds like you guys really really take care of it every angle. So that's that's great. I think that sums it up, folks. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me, Randy, and and telling us about Big Dog Billiards and. Uh, please, one more time, remind everybody of your, your address and phone number so they can get in touch. Sure. The the address is 4510 East 14th Street, Des Moines, Iowa, uh, 50313. Okay. And 
The phone number is 515-266-6100. If you need information uh, for tournaments or anything, um, contact myself or Jim Landrum or Jeremy White. And also, uh, a lot of our um, activities and upcoming tournaments and events are located both on on our Facebook page and our website, BigDogBilliards.com. Great. Thanks for the info, for sure. Thanks for adding that. Um, So, everybody, if you're in Des Moines, make sure you visit Randy and everyone else down at Big Dog Billiards. Big Dog Billiards will have a limited profile on the GoPlayPool app, so check it out. And remember that the app is free and on Android and iOS. And we want to thank American Billiard Radio for the segment. And thank you again, Randy, for taking the time to talk to us. Well, thank you, too. Great talking to you. All right, thank you so much. And from all of us at Go Play Pool, we hope you'll join us next time for another Featured Room of the Week. Hi, and welcome to American Billiard Radio. Legends and Champions Report with myself, Mark Cantrell. Again, I apologize. I, I, this cold thing is just on its last legs. It's on its way out. So hopefully I don't sound as rough as I think I do. But uh, we'll try and get through this without any coughing spurts. We're still on the State of the Union. I believe this is maybe going to be the last episode where we're going to be talking about, strictly, the State of the Union uh, as it is today. Now, I'm not saying it's not going to come back up, but uh, this is the last themed uh, show, I believe, that we're going to be doing. First of all, I I guess I have to talk about and get it out of the way. The elephant in the room. Now, I should really be talking about this more in depth, but it's just not right to do it at this point. The elephant in the room, of course, if I'm talking about the State of the Union and current affairs, would be the issues and the rumors that are going on about the Moscone Cup. There are maybe four different rumors going on right now about this, uh, and they they range a number of different topics. I'm not ignoring it. I've heard the rumors. I'm hearing all the rumors. I'm hearing a number of different versions of the rumors. Some of them I... Some of them I know to be correct, but they're not enough to for me to accurately portray them or talk about them. There are people involved with this. I'm not going to mention their names. Hold on, let me go back. I said there are people involved in this. I meant there are people involved in the rumors. Now, until there's some concrete evidence that says... This person, this person, and this person was involved in this, 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 or this, and this is what's happening. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk about anybody at all until we know the facts. That's just wrong. You, that's not how we do things. We, we can cast, I can't even cast aspersions about things because we simply don't know. I was not a part of any of it. I wasn't there. I didn't... All I'm getting is the accounts from other people. 
Now, this may all turn out to be absolutely, all the rumors could be true. They also could turn out to be absolutely false, and I see no reason to condemn anybody based on what we know at this point about anything. I know that's vague. I know it's very vague, and uh, probably people would like that whole... Uh, like on his abilities, I know something you don't know. I don't know anything. I'm not saying I know something you don't know. I just know the rumors I've heard. And that's, at the end of the day, rumors. I could start a rumor tomorrow that would bring everybody going, send everybody crazy. Oh, my goodness. And once it's said, now, even if I make up the rumor, if I make it up, something crazy, and I just leave, put it out there and leave it at that, that can come back in five years, ten years, about something that never actually happened. And so, therefore, I'm not going to cast any aspersions or start any rumors or talk about it until we know. And I'm sure uh, everything will come out in the wash, as they say. Or, nobody will hear anything else, which would be the ideal situation, which means nobody's character was uh, in question, and there is no proof that anything untoward has gone on. So, I hope that everybody can kind of feel the same way, as much as you may know for fact, or think you know for fact. We've just got to uh, see how this plays out before we start talking about anything uh, that puts anybody's character, livelihood in jeopardy, okay? I'm going to uh, leave that there. I think I've made my point. And I'm going to move on to something else. It's probably not going to uh, make me uh, any friends. I'm sure there's going to be some people who are uh, going to totally disagree with me. But the State of the Union, I've got a couple of ideas. Um, first of all, scrap the ABP. There you go. That's the part right there that's going to get me into trouble somewhere along the line or somebody who's going to hate me or disagree with me. I say scrap the ABP. To this point, it hasn't... It's done a, it's done a service as far as the US Open. As far as anything else, it really has not done anything other than get the players to all kind of band together, which is a good thing. And uh, the U.S. Open funds, that's a good thing as well. I don't, don't misunderstand me. But there's got to a players organization, to me, there has to be much more than just that. Now, I know that that is the basis it was created around, but I still think there should be more to it than just that. There's, there's a lot more needed for players out there. Uh, for, for an example, and now when I say start over... So somebody, you know, needs to get more organized and come up with the agendas they actually need to uh, look at and make it a benefit to the players to be a part of it. Uh, for an example, um, a health benefits program. I know a lot of pro players don't have benefits, health benefits. Now, with this whole Obamacare going on and everything that's going uh, on with that, that probably is something that's not going to be that easy to address right now. 
But as things clear up and the dust settles and we figure out what's going to happen there, um, I, I I think it's definitely something. Now I'm not saying that the pro, the uh, players organization should be paying for pro players' health benefits, but under a blanket insurance policy, they do have the pre-existing conditions and they do have uh, a, a lower rate. Uh, a, a lower premium across the board for people to be able to put some money into it instead of it being four or five hundred dollars a month maybe it's 150 to 200 a month it's a big difference and for uh, a player who has a family i'm sure that it's a lot more obviously it's a lot more manageable and something that's there if there's if there's 200 players uh, they should be able to get a group, a blanket, blanket policy where they do get some breaks. So th that's obviously one thing that they would have to do. Um, another thing that it probably is another thing that's not going to make sense, maybe to the players, uh, but it's something that is a necessity to 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 make it happen, and that is, uh, the, I believe the WPA take a percentage of the players winnings well i think maybe they should be giving a small percentage back to their players organization maybe it's five percent now that may not mean a whole lot to somebody um who's uh, maybe uh in the top uh, out of the top 100 players and the money that they're going to bring in isn't going to be a lot of money but if you get to the uh, top-tier pros, uh, like Darren Appleton, for an example, that 5% turns into a lot of money, and that's where the disparage is going to uh, come in and say, well, I want $100,000, and now I've got to give up 5000 This guy won $100 over here. He's getting the same benefits from the, benefits from the organization as I am, and he only had to pay $5. So... That's where there's, there's a lot of details that would have to be worked out. But they do it right now with the WPA, so I don't see any reason why they couldn't do it for an organization that could potentially benefit them. And and if the benefit is transparent, the money where the money is going is transparent, then nobody should have anything to worry about. And because you need somebody, now I'm not I'm not saying this because I'm trying to get myself a job. I'm just saying that that's something that somebody would need to step up and organize. This board, maybe there should be a board, a committee that that votes on things or a group of advisors. But there should be one person maybe running it and not leaving it. Let the players play pool. It can't just be their decision, their way or the highway. They've got to have somebody uh, in place who can make those decisions and is capable of doing so. And they're going to have that person also work with another organization, which I'm going to get to right after this. Just going to take a quick quick break. American Billiards Radio, Legends and Champions Report, with myself, Mark Kentrell.
Welcome back, American Billiard Radio, the Legends and Champions Report with myself, Mark Kentrell. Um, before the break, I rushed off a little there, and the reason is I was uh, getting ready to have one of my little coughing fits, and that's a result of this cold, and I didn't want to do that to you guys. So, um, alongside the players' organization that can offer so many more benefits. And that plays organization, by the way, would help promote them. Put their face out there. Get, uh, uh, you know, maybe there is an opportunity for them to do more other jobs, side work. Uh, when I say side work, you know, exhibitions and lessons and clinics and all those kind of things. Again, I'm not trying to put myself into a job because that's what I'm known for doing. But just being another advantage to being a part of their organization. Then the other organization I think that should be formed is a promoter's organization with all the main players, the main players we've talked about, and um, hopefully they can get together and agree that, listen, if... Mike Zuglin has to ban a player from their events. It goes to the committee, but it, and, and they have an opportunity to defend their case. The player does, or the player's organization does. Gets a chance to fight for their guy uh, if they don't think it's correct. And then there can be some negotiation and, uh, and look at it. But... I'm just saying Mike Zuglin just for an example. But if Mike Zuglin says, this guy is banned from my events, then Alan Hopkins, Barty, Mark Griffin, Greg Sullivan, everybody in the promoters organization needs to stand by each other and say, yeah, it's a six-month ban. Unfortunately, you can't play my event because of the ban. That's how they do it in Sanuka. And in other, well, there's not many other sports that have so many other, uh, so many promoters in it, uh, like the NFL, for an example, is just the NFL and the club that they have to uh, come to that agreement. Um, maybe there's fines. Maybe there's a set dress code that the promoters need to have. No more shorts and T-shirts. Now, that's going to be... A cause, maybe another cause, but for for uh, people to not be happy about. But I think that if that happens, maybe it does elevate the game. Maybe it elevates the game for somebody who's a new watcher or a potential investor. Now, I know that's a long shot, but I had a an interview with um, Mark Kendall, um, I'm not sure if that interview is going to work out or not because I had a problem with sound quality. But it was a fun interview, and he brought up the same issue about um, the, the dress codes. There should be slacks, dress shoes, shirts, maybe vests. They should always be like that for every tournament. And my combat to that, I'd said... I don't think it's necessary. And the reason I don't think it's necessary is this. If somebody's watching 
a tar match. And they're wearing shorts and t-shirts. Chances are, just because of how small the industry is and the fan base is, the only people who are going to be really watching it are going to be people like us, easy forums people, and, you know, a few people that are scattered out around, uh, around the edges. And so we know what to expect, and it really doesn't matter. We're looking for the excellence in the sport, with the excellence in their game, not what they're wearing. And he got me back. He got me great. And Mark Kendall, I've got to give you just a, to qualify this statement, I've got to give you a, a little bit more background. Mark Kendall is a pool uh, enthusiast, aficionado. You'll see him as Mark GW in most of the pay-per-view chats. Uh, you'll see him as Mark GW, I believe, on AZ Billion forums as well. Is a uh, advanced player, so he knows what he's talking about, and, and just a great fan. But he's also the lead guitarist for the rock and roll band Great White. Some of you may re remember Great White from the heyday, and he he'd been stressing the the need for a dress code, and I'd stress that how much does it really matter unless it's televised in a big forum like Moscone Cup or a challenger champions that's going to be on TV. Otherwise, it's just dressing it up for us. And he said, you know, we could have thought like that when we were playing little uh, shithole bars as Great White before we made it. But we made a decision to do the best show we possibly could every night. Dress the part. If you remember the 80s, you know, do their hair, makeup get their best gear on and just rock it and make it the best show they possibly could given the situation. Because you never know who's going to be watching. And I said, yeah, but, I mean, really. He said, it happened to us. We did exactly what I just told you, and we ended up signing a contract. We did a little bar, and we were doing a gig, and some guy was in the audience from England. I believe you said he's from England. And wanted to came to us at the end of the night, wanted to sign a contract with us. And next thing you know, there they go. They're, they're uh, in rock and roll history. So it does matter that that professionalism is there. Even though, you know, again, I'm not always right, but he got me. He got me great with that. And I, I absolutely can't defend my situation against his because he called it. Um. The promoter's organization, going back to that. Maybe the, the fees and the payouts are transparent. Maybe there is a way to escrow the money for uh, new promoters who are coming to the business, who are not tried and true. Or have had a, uh, you know, let's say a late payment passed, just for an example. So I, I think that that's all great in theory. So now we've got a players' organization. Um, that bonds together, they have their set of rules, they have their head guy who's their spokesperson, who's a go-between. I don't believe it can be a player. Um, maybe they do have a council or a, a team of, a small team of advisors who are knowledgeable, who can give their input on decisions. And maybe even put to a vote. I don't care. I, again, there's details to be done. Um, 
and the that person who is the figurehead, uh, the talk guy, the you know the mouth for the ABP, needs to go to this promoter's organization and say, "Listen, we've had our differences. We've done some things we're not really proud of. We've made some good decisions for us. We've made some bad decisions for us." And the promoter's mouthpiece can say the same thing. And say, why don't we just start from scratch and try again? Here's what our organization is. Here's where we hope to go. We want to work with you. And the promoter's organization can do the same thing. Out of the box, I mean, this is uh, maybe a, a crazy idea. But that promoter's organization, maybe we know how much sponsorship there is. And again, this is going to be difficult to do. And say, whatever sponsorship comes in, it comes into the promoter's organization for these events, for banners, flyers, or whatever it might be, um, at any particular event. And we put that money all in the pot, and then that promoter's organization decides where that sponsorship money should go. So now it becomes a bidding thing with the queue table manufacturers, uh, the, so the queues manufacturers, the pool table manufacturers, in, uh, industry people, ball manufacturers, cloth, etc. And it's not necessarily a bidding situation, but they all get to come and say, this is our budget for the year. Maybe that budget is $10,000. But now that $10,000, they get a piece of advertising in every event that goes on throughout the United States. They're getting more value for their money and the promoters can take their share. Now, the problem with it is obviously this. The, let's say the Super Billions Expo, Alan Hopkins, maybe gets, and these are numbers, I don't know the real numbers, just I'm throwing numbers out, gets $10,000 in sponsorship for the Super... One event at the Super Billions Expo. Maybe the Legends and Champions get 2,000 in sponsorship for banners in a year. Well, now, why would Alan Hopkins want to give me a, a share, take that $8,000 and give it away, or he's 10000 to give it away to somebody who's only going to give him a small piece back? Again, the details. Who knows? He probably wouldn't want to do it. I, and I probably wouldn't blame him. But, and the same with Mark Griffin. He'll say, I'm holding three, four, or five different events, six events a year. Same with Greg Sullivan. You're getting all this sponsorship money for a high-profile event that I've built. Again, I don't disagree with him not wanting to do that. Maybe it's just we need to take a look at the big picture and say, all right, if we all club this money together and all the sponsorship dollars come in and the, the, people can, the, the sponsors can get more value for their money and there's got to be a way to distribute that money fairly amongst everybody. And I guess once you've got a players organization together and a promoters organization together, I'm sure the streamers need an organization too. Maybe they don't. I think it may have been tried already, but I'm not sure um, how well that's all gone. But that's all I've got for this week. It is a higher note than last week. 
Um, you know, it's a start. It's some information. It's just my thoughts. Again, all these thoughts could be dead wrong. But it's something worth thinking about and for us to talk about. And so that's what I would uh, suggest being an option to correct the state of the union. And maybe we could move forward with more cohesiveness. So that's all for now. I hope to see you all again, or I hope you can all join me in uh, two weeks' time. I guess that would be the 2nd of January, if I'm not mistaken. And I wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas. Stay safe. Don't drink and drive. It's not worth it. There's too much trouble involved, and you can hurt yourselves. Um, hope you all get what you want from Santa Claus. And uh, Merry Christmas. God bless. I'll see you next time. This is Mark Kentrell, Legends of Champions Report on American Billiard Radio.